Creator Waves, now loading. Jackson Ray is an artist, clothing designer, and multimedia creator. I actually came across his page on Instagram about a year ago called A Vintage Future, and eventually I joined his group chat, which he's been using as a focus group for pretty much all things that he creates. Do you know what? We can get into the, the film after the movie I, after but we can gotcha, get gotcha. more a vintage future now we can for sure to that so what what is the what's the origin of a vintage future um of like the name or how i got started um both yeah the name and oh. then how it got started all right gotcha so um i actually came up with the name uh so i had i'll go i'll start with how it got started I had always, I've always designed uh, stuff since I was, I mean, around middle school, or I mean, I guess since I was a kid, but really since I was in middle school, I was designing stuff for fun, and I started a, um, I, I designed a line for a clothing brand I was going to do called Kurt Cobain Drinking Strawberry Milk, and that was going to be the first clothing brand I did, but I was, I was probably 15 uh, or I was probably 14 at the time. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what to do. So I didn't end up making that. And then around a year or two later, um, I started, a, uh, I started designing some stuff and I asked people if they would buy it, if I started a clothing brand and a lot of my friends and family really liked the idea. So, um, I was looking for a name and I wanted it to be you know, I've always loved everything vintage, and I wanted that to be a main part of it. And I remember looking through, I have some Life magazines from the 1940s. And I was looking through them, and in them, they have a page in each of them that said, the future in 100 years. And it was all the things that they thought the future was going to be like, uh, like flying cars and moving sidewalks, all that stuff. And so I thought to myself that's a vintage future that's what that is that's what they thought the future was going to be like is a vintage future and so i when i came up with that concept i really liked that idea and it was originally just um i don't know if i still have the t-shirt saved but uh, i'll send it to you if i do but that was one of my first designs was it was actually just the name of a design it was a flying cars and it said a vintage future on the bottom of it and i was like you know what I like that for the name of the brand. And so I used it for the whole brand and it, it stuck. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I, when I saw, when I first came across the, the name, I was definitely intrigued by it. Like mm-hmm. a vintage, it's like, it's like you're taking the historical um, characteristics and then you're using that as, the building blocks to build the future that's exactly what exactly and i got from when i when i first saw the name that's what i got from it exactly and i've put that on a um here let me see i put it on a thing on my instagram actually and it says uh, uh let me find it it says um a vintage future is taking the past and bringing it to the future and that's kind of like it's kind of what i try to do with my designs yeah so is that like so you must be inspired by like nostalgia absolutely definitely yeah that um that's pretty much uh like vintage stuff pretty much anything old i've always loved since i was a kid i've always loved antiques and stuff and uh just vintage clothing and you know pretty much all i wear now as clothes is vintage clothes and I've been that way for, I mean, since I was in middle school, all I've worn really is vintage stuff I found on eBay. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, me, like, I'm, I'm, I definitely love nostalgia as well. I just feel like it just reconnects you with like meaningful moments from, from the past. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it just puts, it puts the present into perspective, but then it also drives anticipation for like what's what's next 
Exactly. And I've always loved history. History has always been my favorite uh, school subject. I just love learning about the past. And that's I think that's why I love like vintage clothes so much is because um, I prefer like I posted recently because I collect vinyl records too. I collect vintage um, records yeah. and I posted on a subreddit a Janis Joplin record and the cover of it was like destroyed. Like it had it had been through so much. It had stains, all water damage, and it had been torn up and stuff. And I posted it, and everybody was talking about how horrible condition the cover was. But in my mind, that made it even more valuable to me to know that it's been through something. Because think about how many, how many things you know. It ju- it shows a history behind it. You know, when something is destroyed or worn down, and that's my favorite thing about shirts, uh, vintage shirts, is that. You can see the history with it. Every stain, every tear that happened somehow. There's a story behind that. Yeah. It's almost like say someone went to a concert in the past and it maybe like a drink was spilled on it or it got ripped. Exactly. But they kept it like that. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is what I went through. Exactly. That's it's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. They've been through all those things, and it just has the story with it. It builds as it it gets worn. Yeah, is it almost like, you know, how people say, converses um, that are like messed up or dirty. That's that's the best converses. That's the best. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. One of my favorite. Um, see, I've I've a a good bit of shoes. I've a bunch of shoes. One of my favorite pairs of shoes is this pair of uh, Vans that I have that I wore for like two years straight in a row and they have like uh, holes in the side of them from skateboarding and tears on the bottom of them. And it's my favorite pair of shoes because they just like, there's no way you can get a pair of shoes like that other than wearing them for two years. Like that's, that's the only way you can get something like that. Yeah, so it just shows that you really... You put them through different. You put they put they went through things like you had exactly. to them in different. You had different experiences with them. Exactly, and you know the um, you know the capital jeans that I have that I posted that I customized. Yeah, yeah, those um, those I love so much, and someone else I know got a pair of uh, brand new ones like that. And to me, I would so much rather have the really beat up pair with the holes in them and the super faded denim. Um, because I don't, I don't know. It's just more valuable to me that way with, with all the, um, all the mistakes on them and not, not even mistakes, just, uh, you know, like I said, there's just that story behind them. That guy wore them for two years straight every single day. He said he wore them and then, and that's what happened to him. And there's no way to replicate that other than actually wearing them for two years straight. And that's, that's just so cool to me. Yeah. Did you, you know, those, um, the Air Yeezys that Kanye wore, the the 08 Grammys that just went on. Um, yeah, I saw those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. with those, when you when you look at them, the exact uh, model, you saw that you can see that there is some um, some marks on it. Is you can tell it's exactly, exactly, yeah. Complaining that yeah, it looks beat up, but. What? That's the thing. It that Kanye wore them. Yeah, it's like he he wore them during those during during that performance. Exactly, and that makes it even better to me. Yeah, there's history attached to it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I um when I'm seeking out when I'm looking for vintage shirts, I literally look for the ones that are a little bit more beat up or the ones that are um, you know, maybe. Maybe they have a whole, a few holes in them, or maybe they're torn a little bit or stained a little bit at the bottom. I like those more just because there's something different about them, you know, because it's something you can't replicate. I mean, of course, you could go tear a hole in a shirt or stain a shirt, but you can't, you can't really replicate it. Um, you'll never be able to really replicate the true history behind them. It's true, yeah, it's true. You can, you can, you can try, and replicate someone else someone else's um attire that 
has been beat up from them just having different experiences with them with them exactly but it's a lot easier for that person to tell you what they did um with that particular item or clothing yeah it's easier to, to exactly exactly so yeah so you're so you're you really so you really value things that have been that where where you can see it's been used it's been yeah definitely exactly yeah i think i I just i feel like just being able to connect the dots between the past and the present is is really that's that's really connected that to that whole idea of okay this has been this has been used in different ways like yeah like perfect yeah exactly exactly yeah it's it's um imperfections are are so much cooler to me imperfect okay why 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 would you why would you say that um just because um i don't know i feel like imperfect things are i don't know i feel like they're a little bit better than perfect things to me because it makes them different you know if you have um here, let me let me think of an example. I really like uh, misprinted things, you know. Um, for example, like I'm trying, I, I'm trying to think of something. But to me, and to a lot of people, misprints are more valuable because, say, somebody did a run of uh, a thousand um, t-shirts, you know, yeah. so back in so somewhere. I don't know, thousand t-shirts. Um, all one thousand of those t-shirts are going to be the same. But then say one of the t-shirts, it printed upside down somehow. Or you know how like Jordans, there's sometimes a Jordan where the swoosh is upside down yeah. or a different material gets on them on the wrong for some reason. Now, that is now, to me, the most valuable of those shirts, even though, you know, there's 999 other ones, but all those 999 are the exact same. But this one, there's only one of them. It's And it's so much more valuable because... Of it's not even just its rarity, but I mean, yeah, kind of. It's it's just more valuable because of that. Because, because it stands up. Yes, exactly. Because it stands up. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how important is how important is it to not like conform to like the state? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me personally. Yeah, for you personally. Yeah. yeah um. Well, I think that, uh, I just think with, um, well, I've always, I've always thought that the easiest way or not the easiest way, but the best way to become successful is to be different because when you look at clothing, there's a, there's a million clothing designers out there. And if every clothing designer is designing something with a smiley face, um, with a bullet hole through its head. That's a design I've seen a million times. If every clothing designer is doing that and it's like, oh, this is going to be the hot new design because it is the hot new design. Um, you know, maybe a few people, maybe a few people out of, say there's a thousand designers doing that. Maybe 10 of those designers will do well and they'll sell well. And then maybe another 90 of those designers will sell to their friends. But then the majority of the designers that are making smiley face designs they're they're going to get lost because you know there's already these 10 people who do the smiley face is really good and now the rest of the people it no one no one cares anymore so what people really care about is something different that's what it's always been is people care about something different no matter what no matter what it is and you know uh, people see things like Chinatown market and they see that company do uh really well with their smiley faces and then they think, you know, Smiley Face is just one example, but they think, yeah. oh, yeah. if this company did well with that, then I will. But that, but the truth is, if that company did well with Smiley Faces, it means you won't do well because there's already that company doing Smiley Faces. And exactly. when people think of Smiley Face, they're going to go to Chinatown Market. When people want to buy something with Smiley Face, they're going to go to Chinatown Market. And they're not going to go, they're not going to go to you. You have to have something different. Exactly. It's like people see someone else doing something great and 
they just try and emulate mm-hmm. the, the outcome of it rather than understanding understanding what the process was and exactly what their process should be to exactly yeah outcome yeah i agree i agree completely so when i when i when i came across your page initially uh i think on i think on your story you like um you offered the chance for people to like join your group chat oh yeah yeah i did and, and that's how you uh you joined that and uh yeah, I did that a while because I did I did it one time when I was a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, and then I think you can only have like 30 people in a group chat. And the first time I did it, had about 15 people join. Yeah. And then I think a few a few people either left or just got uh, inactive and I took them off. Yeah. And then I got a lot bigger and, you know, I did it again um, and it filled up the second time. And that, I think that's when you joined. Did you join the first time or the second time i feel like you joined the second time it might have been the second i think yeah it was the second time i think it was too um and but the reasoning is is because no matter how good i think something is like i can make i've made designs and i think it's the greatest design ever and then i show you guys and you say well maybe maybe you should change this or maybe it's not that good and then i show other people and they say maybe it's not that good and but without that feedback if i had just dropped that shirt then you know, the shirt would have sucked and you need feedback. You need a group of people that can give you honest feedback so that, you know, you're not, um, so that you're not going to, uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, so that, so that you're, you don't just have yes, men Cause yes, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. If you just you have everybody you telling you, you this is good. Value, you know what, what, where your value is, you know, mm-hmm. where your value stands exactly exactly yeah but why why did you think of because basically pretty much you're using this group chat as almost like a focus group for exactly yeah yeah so what 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 made you think of using it that way because i haven't i haven't really come across people using um using group chats in that way especially like instagram group chats yeah um well well i just felt like you know uh I just felt like the people who, well, it, I take it as like a sample of my my main customer base because, you know, I have all these customers. Uh, I have three thousand something followers. Now, obviously, all of them are not customers. All of them are not going to buy something, but I have three thousand of them, and I think, all right, if I can get the thirty people that are most uh, interested in the brand, if I can get them, if they're interested enough to get into a group chat, then. I know that that's who's going to be buying my product. That's who's, that's who's going to be interested. And the 30 people that are interested, I can use them uh, as basically the entirety of my follower base. So, so I I know if uh, these 30 people will enjoy it, then I can go ahead and assume that the rest of my follower base will also enjoy it. Right. So, because what you're, what you've been doing is pretty much like prototyping things that you're you're creating exactly yeah with, with everyone that's that's in the that with everyone that's in the group chat before you actually present it to your the rest of your um followers pretty much exactly yeah i think is i think is um it's cool because you're using the group chat as like a pit stop like if you think of like f1 and you have the pit stop mm-hmm. or they go back exactly i like that the group chat as a pit stop you're um almost like measuring you're 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 dealing with a lot of different things like quality control and things like that as far as what you're creating and then before you actually present it to to the rest of your audience exactly i I agree completely that's exactly that's a good analogy for it yeah so like what what have you learned from having using using the group chat in um for like a focus group for oh oh yeah yeah um pretty much i mean i found that um 
you know, like I said, it's really a sample of it. It really shows me what people will like. And it's, it's taught me a lot with um, figuring out, you know, designs I need to change or, or how much people are interested in something. And, you know, it's helped me to where I decide, oh, maybe I shouldn't drop this or maybe things that I wasn't that big of a fan of y'all will say, you definitely have to drop that and then I'll release it. And it does really well. And, um, so it just, it, it gives me another perspective uh, that I might not would have seen if it was just me designing and releasing these things. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's a really cool way of, just getting feedback on things that you're creating exactly it's a really cool way and to take that back and really zoom out and analyze what you're working on um and it and it and it gives you time to to figure out how to connect with the wider your wider audience as well mm -hmm. exactly exactly that's really I think that's really cool. As far as um, just just talk about like inspiration. So like when you're when you're looking for inspiration, how do you seek inspiration? What what type of things you do to what type of things you tap into um, to really get inspired or to just get different different types of inspiration? Um. It's, it's like I said, really, I would say nearly, it's probably 90% vintage clothes. Um, watching or just going through eBay and looking at vintage clothing. Um, that's where I get most of my inspiration from or, or scrolling through Instagram, vintage pages, finding, finding different stuff. Um, and I'll see different things. Like I would say um, probably... Probably at least 70 to 80% of all my designs are at least partially based off of another vintage design that I've seen. Like, um, like here, let's see. Um, I'm scrolling through my Instagram right now. The uh, American Thunder hoodie with the, uh, with the Native American and the lightning. Yeah. Those are all, all those were very much based off of American Thunder, uh, which was a brand in the nineties that did lightning uh, shirts and stuff. Um, and they were sold at truck stops and that's, that's big. And then even my recent, um, my recent um, Jesus T and the wizard of Oz one. Yeah. They, they um, the uh, logos for those are inspired by an artist called Peter Max. Um, it says the lot, the one that says lion lamb and then the wizard of Oz, the land of Oz. Those are inspired by ours called Peter Max, and that was his logo. And it said Peter Max in there, and I changed the font, but it was the same same colors as that. And I just um, I just turned it into, you know, this. And that first T was uh, here. I'm gonna go ahead. Do you have your phone on you? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and I'll I'll send it to you. Let Let me see. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll keep talking about it. But the uh, Jesus T was inspired by a capital um t that i saw actually and um here i'm trying to find here it is uh I can see right here all right i sent that and then here is the um inspiration behind it and you can see they're very i mean it's very similar sort of design behind it um yeah. but i saw that capital t and i i just thought it was so beautiful and that i had to do something with it yeah. and so there it is and you know some people might um some people might see that inspiration and say oh you're just stealing from capital or and you know if people want to say that they can say that all they want i really i really don't care um i'm just doing i'm just designing what i want to design yeah. and I, I would i'll tell anybody like i'm telling you right now i'll tell anybody where my inspiration comes from yeah. um when they ask for any piece you know i'm no art is 100 original Nothing, nothing in the world at this point is 100% original just because, you know, there's so many things that have already been created. Nothing, nothing's original anymore. So, yeah, I, I, I think taking a piece of something and taking it to a, 
to a different direction, I think that's that's great. I think it's like mm-hmm. you're able to just bring different things together and and build your own your own vision for whatever you're you're creating. Yeah. Um and exactly. when it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't feel like you just created a carbon copy of it. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's always influenced, but it's like it's still your own. See, yeah, that's what I always go for. Yeah, it's like your own, your own style is still, is still visible. Exactly. I'm I'm glad you see that. Yeah. As far as just your your interests, because because I know that you are interested in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned that the, the other day. So what other what what types of things are you interested in? Interested in? Um well, let's see. So, you know, obviously um a lot of vintage vintage things and uh, uh vintage clothing. I've always been interested in that and in history. I like learning a lot about history. Just just scrolling through Instagram, I follow a bunch of history pages. And um I like um uh, movies a lot as as you can see with me working on the movie and recently I've been posting a lot of yeah. short not really not really reviews but recommendation on movies um and uh you look at, you look at recommendations on movies uh yeah yeah i've been uh I, I really like to uh watch new movies that i might not have ever heard of and so recently i watched um i had been seen on netflix nightcrawler which i posted with jake gyllenhaal and um yeah and I watched that and it was a really great performance and um, and it inspired me. And so I wanted to watch another looked up uh, and I had seen somebody slid up and said, you should watch Nocturnal Animals, which is another Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And I watched that the next day and absolutely loved it. Um, and so right now what I've been doing is I've been watching um, pretty much a movie, a different movie every single day, um, just in preparation for not really in preparation, but just for um to to really learn a little bit about storytelling and yeah. you know and I've always wanted to make a movie you know when I was around I was probably 10 10 years old and I had uh, my parents iPad and I filmed I'd fully directed and filmed like this 10 minute little short film with my friends and you know obviously it was stupid it was silly it was I was 10 years old yeah. um but Let's go show that ever since then, I've always had that passion. And since I was doing very early on into into a vintage future, I had always wanted to film and make my own movie. And I had written down design or ideas about it. And the early my early movie idea was inspired by, have you seen Kanye's Runaway uh, short film? Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of my favorites. And it was so um, – and it was – my early, I wanted to make something like that for so long. And what I would always say is, um, whenever I get famous, I'm going to make a movie because I thought I would get famous off of the clothing or not, not even famous, but just successful enough to make the movie because, uh, it seemed so out of reach. And I always would say, whenever I get famous, I'm going to make a movie. And I remember one time my, uh, one of my friends, I said that to him, and he said, well, what if it's the movie that makes you famous? Why don't you make the movie and then that made you famous? And and that was uh, that was over a year ago before I was really before I was working on this now. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a you know, that's a good idea. That would be cool. But I don't know. I don't I don't think it's going to work. And then the reason uh, and then recently uh, it was me and my best friend, Cameron, we were sitting there and uh, talking about some other movies, you know, uh, some Quentin Tarantino movies, Django Unchained specifically. Yeah. And then he said, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think, uh, and I haven't seen that one yet, but it's on my list. And he said, you have to go home and watch it right now. I'll let you log into Amazon Prime and you have to go watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I went home that night and watched it. And then I kid you not, for two weeks straight, Every we had we had one period or we had two periods a day together, um, and for two weeks straight, every single class period that we had together, all we did was talk about that one movie. And over those two weeks, we got together and we watched it again together. We would watch it separately. We watched it like five times. Wow. We just talked about it over and over and over again. 
And that that was when I realized, and this was back in February, January, February. And that was when I realized that I re- I had to make movies, not just I wanted to anymore, but I had to make movies. And I, I wanted to, my main goal was, I was so impressed with how Quentin Tarantino could make that, make a move, how anybody could make a movie that makes two yeah. high school kids talk about it for two weeks straight. Like, like yeah. a, a two and a half hour movie that has so much in it that you can just talk about it over and over. And, you know, we didn't get bored of it. We, it was literally something that we just talked about over and over. There was so much to talk about the movie. And that was when I decided I had to make it. And, um, and so we kept watching some movies and me and him, uh, we eventually, we decided that we were going to watch all the Tarantino movies. And so we watched, um, we would go through them and, you know, we'd, we'd slowly get to him and he'd say, Oh, I rented, um, Jackie Brown, watch Jackie Brown. And we'd watch Jackie Brown. And then, um, we got to all of them. We had two more left. Um, we had death proof, which is what people say is Quentin Tarantino's worst movie. And so we watched that one together. And then have you seen either the, have you, well, not either. Have you seen the Kill Bill movies? Yeah. yeah. And then the, that was the last one that we had to watch. We, we got, we had watched every other Tarantino movie and we said, all right, now we have to watch Kill Bill. Are you ready? And so we came up, I went to his house and we spent the night and we started at nine o'clock and they're, they're four hours long. And we watched them and we ate dinner and we watched both Kill Bill movies back to back until two o'clock in the morning. And that is that was one of the best, like it's one of my most favorite experiences ever was watching those movies. And it's 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 not even my favorite movie now, but it's I was just watching it again recently and it it was such an incredible like story that that was that was once again when I realized um well actually when we watched that one, we had already started working on um the scripts um the script for rank family commune yeah. so the way uh, i'll tell you i know i know you said well i mean it, we've been talking for 30 minutes already so i guess yeah. i'll go ahead and yeah. yeah and um but i started out um i had all i've always written down ideas for uh movies in my notes app on my phone i've always just if i had an idea for a movie i'd write it down you know in plans of making it in the future and then one day I had this idea. I was listening to a song um, and Which the one? song, uh, it was uh, dedicated to the one I love by the Mamas and the Papas. I posted it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I posted that one and I was listening to the, it. Um, the the um, Kanye's version of that. I haven't. Does he, oh, is he? Yeah, that's a, it's great. That's, that is where I discovered the song. Oh, really? Really? That's awesome. Yeah, you need to... Uh, yeah, I need to hear that. Definitely yeah. send that to me whenever, uh, whenever we get done. But um, yeah, I was listening to listen to the original version of that song, and I was just doing um, just doing donuts in the parking lot of uh, my gym. Or not, not really donuts, just spinning around in circles. Yeah. And as I'm listening to that song, it it popped into my head uh, the idea of you know two people spinning around doing donuts in the parking lot, maybe. I didn't know what they were doing. Maybe they had just done a heist or maybe they had done something and they had gotten away with it and they're happy they got away with it. And then all of a sudden the idea popped in my head of six cop cars speeding into the scene and put your hands up yelling everywhere. And then, uh, then the screen cut into black. I just had like, as I'm listening to the song it all just popped into my head and I wrote that down. And then the next day I was like, I have to finish that story. I have to figure out, you know, the rest of the story, I have to know what they did. Yeah. And so, you know, part of writing that story for me was actually as if I was watching the movie because, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it wasn't like I had the idea, the whole idea, I had the opening scene idea and then I wrote it from there. And so it was just as if I was experiencing it myself. And so I wrote it for about two weeks uh, and I got up to page 80 of it. And I got right to the climax. So the way the story is set up is um, the car, the cop cars come in and then we flash back to a year before. And then the next 80 pages or next 80 minutes of the movie is, um, is the backstory, you know, up, oh, hear me. Yeah. I, I, it, um, I'm, I think my, I thought my mic cut off, but the next 30 minutes of the movie is the backstory. And then, um, and then I got back up to the cop car scene. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to finish the story. 
And so I was showing one of my teachers it and Cameron, I hadn't even talked with Cameron about it yet. Cause I didn't know if he would be interested in, in writing screenwriting. Really. He wasn't, we, neither of us were really writers or we didn't read books or anything like that. And he asked me, I said, I wrote a screenplay and he overheard me and he said, you're writing a play. And I said, no, not like a play, like a movie. And he said, Oh, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say anything else. And so I was like, ah, he, he just, he's not interested in it. And then two days later, he sent me a text and it, I posted that on my story too. And it was the video of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck um, getting the youngest or getting the screenwriter award. And he said, this is me and you in the future. And then I texted him, I was talking with him and he, he came up to me the next day and he said, we should write one together. Let's, let's work on a screenplay together. And so we, uh, we were working on some stuff and then we said, all right, why don't we write one that we can actually film? And so we wrote, we wrote uh, a little, like a three minute one or just kind of came with the idea of it. And we were like, eh, we don't really want to do that. And then, you know, this is a long story, but you know, I'll, it, it's all good. And uh, I had always rode past Cowboys, the place where, where, where Reading Family Comedy is going to be set. And I never knew what it was, but I always rode past it. It's in my hometown. And one day we were riding past together and I said, dude, that building is so awesome. I, I love that place. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, you know, my parents own that, right? And I said, what? He said, yeah, that was my grandpa's restaurant. And my parents still own the property of it. And I was like, dude, we have to film something there. That's like my favorite building ever. It's so cool. We, we have to film something. So we um, we talked about it. And then we had the idea of, you know, I had learned about this cult in Oregon um, back in the eighties. And what they did was they, uh, I'm not going to tell the whole story of it, of course, but yeah. in the cult, they had, um, their leader told them to kill the attorney general, um, in order to, you know, they were trying to, trying to take over the state kind of, and the leader told them to yeah. kill the attorney general. So I had that idea and I kind of mixed it in with the Charles Manson cult with, you know, a small group of, of young people. Yeah. Um, by a crazed leader and mixed that together. And I had the story of, well, what if, what if there's these four teenagers and um, you know, they're ordered by their leader to kill. And it was originally the attorney general. We changed it to the sheriff, kill the sheriff. And then we wrote that. And then we wrote the backstory with Jack and Danny, which, you know, people <laughs> who haven't seen the movie or read the script, they're not going to know what we're talking about, but uh, the backstory with Jack and Danny, but they, they'll get it later. The backstory with Jack and Danny um, of how he was, uh, of, of how Jack got arrested. And then we wrote that as a whole separate story. And then I watched a YouTube video talking about how if you want to make a good movie, you can't, you, if you want to get in Hollywood, you can't just make a good movie anymore. You have to make a great movie. Every story can't be good. And so I looked at our, our script and I said, this story is just good. It's not great yet. And so we cut in the Danny and Jack part and we added that piece in and we, um, and we just, we rewrote the script for about a month, uh, a month and a half, just constantly adding stuff to it, taking stuff out and rewriting it. Um, and I originally, I originally wanted the script to be 30 or wanted the mood to be 30 minutes long. And he thought that was too long. And so we cut it down to 15 minutes, but then as we kept adding stuff, it's back up to like 25 minutes now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to, the movie's going to end up being about 25 minutes. We're thinking with all the scenes that we've added. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, did you have any, I, I know I just went on a long, like 10 minutes talk about that, but did you, did you, everything you were saying, I was, I was, I was visually taking myself wherever you were explaining. Exactly. Good, good. Yeah. Um, did you did you have any questions uh, that you had about about the movie? I know you gave me some feedback on it, but do you did you have any other questions about it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I had an, I had a, I had one. Whilst you was just speaking just now, I had one about you saying you had to you had to rewrite the script. Uh huh. Yeah. So how was that process? Well, um. Well, pretty much what we've learned, what we learned from research is that literally every single movie script ever is uh, rewritten. Well, any book, any piece of literature ever is rewritten over and over and over again. And, you know, the first draft is never, ever the final draft. And so we, we, we wrote the first draft of it 
and originally uh it really it sucked the first draft of reading from the commune is bad and uh i think it's it's really short if you want to read it uh, text me and i'll i'll send it to you yes but yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't the, yeah. the first draft of it in comparison to the now draft is horrible horrible movie and um it just because originally you know how in this one the whole theme of it is um without you know i'm not saying anything that's gonna give off the second half or like the end of the story but yeah. the whole theme of the movie is them trying to decide you know it is is pretty much fear they're all there they fear dakota they're scared of dakota and they're trying to decide if they can leave or if they have the courage to leave because everyone in the co commune wants to leave it says in the opening narration now in the original script i had it to where the four girl or the two girls were also crazy and i had it written to where they were excited to go out and kill the sheriff and they were excited and then when people read it, I let a, I let one of the cast members read it and I let two of my teachers read it. And when people read it, they were confused. They were like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they be crazy? And then, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, because towards the end of the story, you know, you can't tell what actually happens. But towards the end of the story, you know, they're contemplating whether or not they can leave. And it started at the beginning. They were saying it doesn't make any sense because at the beginning of the story, they're thinking, oh, yes, I'm excited to kill this person. And then at the end, they're they're like worried and they're trying to run away. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, you know, it we realized, OK, well, now the girls can't be crazy. The only crazy people has to be either, you know, Dakota, Jack and uh, Mary is, is not really in the story. But in the back in like the backstory, we have the backstory written of it. But there's only about three actually crazy characters. And then everyone else in the story is supposed to be totally normal, like the good guys, of course. The fair and yeah, exactly. So especially the, the main four, they're they're the protagonist of the story. And so they're, they're kind of on the fence about it the whole time. And that was something. And originally, uh, another thing that changed in the story was um, the whole Danny and Jack scene. Originally, what happened was um so cameron is my friend cameron the, my co-writer co-director yeah, he yeah. is the one who was going to uh play danny in the story okay. and, and i'm playing dakota and uh but danny um originally in the story want to be in the movie that much he wanted both of us wanted to be um both of us wanted to be very out of the story okay. and so just because we wanted to be um directing as much as possible rather than acting and so originally in the first draft danny is um doesn't show up at all and dakota barely shows up i was gonna have i was I, first draft of the story i think dakota's not even in um and you know he just he just says a few things and then he doesn't come back up again and he's just kind of the looming character in the background yeah. and then danny originally was going to be at the very very end it was gonna the credits were gonna roll and then there was gonna be a post credit scene and it was gonna be uh danny um or re not even just Dan not the character wasn't even danny at the time it was just gonna be cameron um pulling over on the side of the road with his car messed up and it was gonna be uh, mary and jack and they were gonna come out it was supposed to be like a three months before three months earlier thing and it was gonna be them recruiting danny um and like like bringing someone else into the cult bringing another member into the cult and then it, that's what the movie is going to end on and then as we did that we were like okay well and and jack wasn't in the story either you know and then we decided i wrote out the um rest of the story well what if what if danny and jack what if jack does this what if we show jack why he got arrested what if we show who danny is and i wrote that entire thing out and that was another 10 12 pages i think okay and, and then we cut that all the way down to i think it's at six seven now six or seven pages and then we inserted that into the story and now it um because you know it cuts back in the middle of the movie for seven seven or eight minutes um and it shows right. the danny and jack scene and but i think but it's so much better because now it um in just 25 minutes, we're thinking it's going to end up at, in just 25 minutes, 
not only do you have a complete story, you have two complete stories. And it's just so we wanted it to be so packed full. Yeah. We didn't want a single second of the movie to be boring. Um, because that's something we learned from watching Tarantino movies is that we figured out that every second of his movies are entertaining. You know, like Django, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's always something entertaining, especially Django. You know, have you seen Django Unchained? Yeah, yeah Django Unchained and uh, Kill Bill. Those movies are just so entertaining throughout. There's always something you can that's grabbing your attention. And, and exactly. Exactly. It doesn't get boring for a second. So yeah. it's just packed. And, you know, what uh, we I learned about Tarantino's writing process is he actually he writes um, the story by hand and he say a movie is going to be, you know, 200 pages. He writes 400 pages. And then he when he goes to type it out, he says that he hates typing. He likes physically writing with a pencil. Yeah, and so he yeah. hates typing. So he cuts out every scene that is is not absolutely necessary. And then so the story ends up being, you know, he writes 400 pages and then cuts it down. And that's what we did. The opening script was we wrote it 20, 25 pages, and then we cut it down to 15. And then we yeah. added the 12 pages, Danny and Jack, cut it down to six. And then we, you know, it's what we wanted to do was write as much as we could and then cut it down as compact as we can get it. How did it how did it feel to cut it down? Did it did it did it did it hurt or was it, was it um, to, to cut it? Um at first it was, you know, well the first thing I was kind of disappointed when he wanted to do it at 15 minutes rather than 30 because I was worried because you know it is such a complex story. It's a really it's a really big story. Um yeah. and especially for a short film. You know, we plan on writing out Eventually, we're going to write it into a full-length uh, feature film. I uh, don't know if it'll end up ever getting filmed, but we will write it out into, so we have a full script for it. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it did kind of hurt cutting it down from, in my brain, before I'd ever actually written it, cutting it down from the 30 pages I wanted to the 15, just because I felt like we weren't going to be able to tell the full story. You know, because I had some things with... Uh, yeah, and you know, now there's things that are sort of like hinted at. Like I originally had it to where, um, uh, what's it called? Can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, something showed up on the screen. I was making sure. Um, but originally it had to where, uh, Jody, uh, Joy, which is Joy, and um, uh, I can't, and Tanner, they were um, they were originally in the first kind of first script, but really just in the back end of my mind, they were uh, dating, but undercover, like, like because Dakota wouldn't let any of them uh, have any relationships. And so they were kind of secretly, you know, liked each other. And, and, um, and then, but that, and that was something that had to be, uh, that was something that had to be cut out whenever we, um, you know, whenever we really had to cut it down. But um, I still I found ways to add um, add that in in a little in a shorter way, you know, with how I have at the beginning of the narration. Now, um, it says this is Jody. Everyone uh, she wants everyone to call her joy. But most people forget except for Tanner. And then they smile at each other. And I had that to where now there's still that basis of the story in there. You know, we can't we can't show the full extent of their relationship, yeah. but we have yeah. that little piece there now. And, yeah. it, and it's almost like, ah, OK, I see the chemistry. Exactly. Yeah. Almost, and it, but like he it's like they notice certain things about each other that everybody else doesn't doesn't see. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's um it shows enough of it to where you know we won't get to tell the full story, but we get to we get to show that little piece of it, and um, and then that that satisfies the story enough. Yeah, definitely. As far as just like the clothing or the fashion within the movie. Yeah. Um. What, t tell me, tell me more about that. Well, that's been um. That's been something that we've been working on kind of uh, we've had it in the back of our mind because 
we wanted it to be very specific. We wanted the fashion to be very specific in the movie. And it's it's slightly difficult because when you think about it, um, these characters are, they're in a cult, you know, of course. That's the main point of it. But yeah. uh, so people in that are in a cult, you know, automatically, they're not going to have uh, the best fashion. You know, they're not going to have expensive clothes. They're not going to even have nice clothes. Yeah. They're going to have the cheapest, most basic things that they can find. And so we had originally written in the script, everyone wearing white t-shirts and jeans or jean shorts. And then or all the cult members. And then we were going to have Dakota wearing black t-shirts the whole time. Well, then um, that was, just, that was symbolizing pretty much. Uh, it was supposed to be, you know, uh, everyone in the cult, it obviously isn't there. I mean, they're in a cult. They're not great people, but everyone in it is kind of the victims. And they were the white, they were the pure white. And then Dakota was the evil. And so he was, he wore the black shirts to, to symbolize the evil compared to the, you know, the, the brightness in everyone else's life. And what we've changed it to now is we have, um, we have everyone wearing, and it, we didn't want it to just be white t-shirts because then it would just, you know, it, we didn't want it to be too cult-like, you know, it's not really organized. It's not like an organized cult where they all wear the same thing. Yeah. So we had it to where they wore, you know, a few more white t-shirts, a few more right white crop tops uh, with them with like the sleeves cut off and a few more tank tops, stuff like that. So they're, and they're all stained and just, you know, just, they have nothing pretty much. And now we have it. To, and then I was like, well, I want some real vintage shirts in there. So now we have it to wear Jack, uh, well, Danny uh, Cameron, his it, it's really interesting because his character in the story is, um, you know, is a little bit more well off, uh, not revealing what he is or his occupation, but he's a little bit more well off. Um, so he um, he has more money. So his nicer he has nicer clothes in the story. You know, he he walks in and he's wearing a nice a nice polo or a nice button up shirt and jeans and some nice boots. And then throughout the story, um, we have one scene where it's a montage of a VHS on, on a VHS camera. And it's supposed to be home videos. And throughout that scene, we're going to have him kind of transition into the different clothes. Because, you know, he starts out and he's wearing the nicer clothes. And then as that scene goes through, he's going to start, you know, as he's getting involved with them, he's going to start wearing you know, cheaper, you know, just t-shirts, random t-shirts. Yeah. And we have, uh, I'm, that's because it's like, he's come from, you could say he's come from an environment that's, that's better off. Exactly. Yeah. More, more money and stuff. So mm -hmm. he's come into this environment and he's, he's becoming one of them, he's becoming one of them, but does he still maintain those values from, the place where there was more money oh uh, yeah exactly of course yeah. yeah and um and then we have so what we have now is i'm about to write this part in, in the script is uh, i love the i posted did you see the post i just posted uh a few hours ago of the new clothes uh the new clothes that i just bought for uh the reading family comic it's on reading bts the other page okay i'll have a look at it, I'll have a look at it. um but those it's um wildlife kind of shirts, you know, there's a one with a duck and some wolves and some deer. And that's the kind of thing that they would sell in the eighties and the nineties at um gas stations and at truck stops. And so I'm about to write in uh, just a quick line of narration where the narrator says they got all their, they get all their clothes from their local truck stop. And that way, like, and then it's going to cut to a few of the characters wearing those shirts that are in there where it's just, you know, truck stop clothes, pretty much just, yeah. just little, little t-shirts um, that you get at a truck stop. And so, and it, that just, it gives it sort of a, a specific aesthetic behind it to where they're going to, uh, they, you know, they're small town. They don't know anything else. You know, they, they eat all their, eat all their food at the local pizza place. They get, uh, they get all their shirts from the local truck stop. And I made sure with all of the shirts and everything, all the shirts I ordered. Um, I don't know how far I'm going to be able to take this with our clothing, with our budget, yeah. but um, I wanted to have to wear 
every character their t-shirts if they have a, a location on a t-shirt it's indiana they always have an indiana shirt on, t- on their thing to symbolize that they've never been out they've never gone anywhere but indiana and then i was gonna have dakota have a shirt from say the caribbean or say from la or something like that to show that dakota is really the only one who, who goes places and he dakota takes the trips and nobody else is really not is allowed to leave, but nobody else leaves. Yeah. Like they just all stay here except for Dakota. I don't think I'm gonna be able to take that very far, um, just because we don't have a big budget. But okay, because that's so symbolic. It's like it's not just the clothing that is different. It's also the mindset. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know they they live in Indiana and it it feels like they're kind of trapped there. Yeah. Um, and Dakota is the only one that ever really goes anywhere. And um, so I don't know how far we're going to be able to take that, but we do have um, a, I can't, I can't, I can't say it yet, but yeah. there's, there's a lot of um, shirts that I'll say, and you'll, you'll understand this. A lot of, uh, you might, you might get it. A lot of the shirts that Danny wears, you also see Dakota wearing them. Like, you know, you see the, you see the thing with the belt. Yeah. Uh, I told you the belt and then uh, stuff like that. And then yeah. the recent, the shirt, the Indiana truck stop shirt, yeah. that's going to be something that is seen on both of those characters. And that kind of, it's just kind of a thing that you'll, you'll realize once you're watching the movie, Oh, that's, that's what happened. That's this. And, um, and you know, there, I just wanted to have a lot of little, little things like that in, uh, involved in it. So. How you, how you plan to, to market the movie? Um, is there is there is there like a plan in how you plan to to market the movie, or is it just um just delivering in a simple way, or is there are there different components that you might be delivering? And at different periods of time that help mm-hmm. connect the dots or yeah what i'm gonna do is um well i've been trying to decide what we're going to do is you know if you have uh, we recently found out if you have a, a short film and you want to submit it to festivals you have two years from the start date or from the from the finalized um date the movie is finished two years to submit it to festivals um before it becomes ineligible so we're over the next two years we're going to submit it to as many festivals as we can and um but what we're also going to do is so there's two cuts of the movie um that we're filming we're filming the legal cut we're filming the legal cut which is um we don't you know getting rights to songs is extremely expensive um but uh, like 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 copyrighted songs it's like a thousand dollars to get a single song in a movie. And we, we, we don't even have a thousand dollars for the whole budget. And so we can't get any songs in. And so we have a, uh, a guy doing a movie score for us and he's just doing all the music for the movie. What'd you say? Who, who is the person? Doing that? Um, his name is, uh, Sir hot. And, uh, he, uh, uh, he's, he's just a guy that we found. He's, uh, it's his first project and he's actually, he's really good at it, but it's his first project. Um, yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have anything else. That's really what you want. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you want want to collaborate with people that are going in in a similar direction Mm -hmm. that you're going into, and you can both come together and and have a mutual, there's mutual benefits that come with coming together and collaborating. Exactly, exactly. And um, so originally we had an idea for the movie, um you know and the towards the end the climax of the story where uh tanner and the and the four of them they kind of you know they kind of come into their own and they they realize they don't necessarily need dakota and they're trying to figure things out um we were gonna have in the first draft of the movie we have it to where the opening scene is a song by david koresh which was a which was a cult leader in texas in the 90s and then we were going to have uh, the rest of the music throughout the movie be music by Charles Manson, another cult leader, of course. Yeah. And then we were going to have the final song of the movie 
um, after they've kind of realized they don't need to code anymore, we're going to have the final song of the movie um, be uh, a song by Crosby, Stills and Nash, which is just a regular band, you know, and it, that was to symbolize, um, you know, they're in the cult this whole time. And then it's going to be cult music the whole time until the very end. Um, and then, you know, we're unable to do that now because we've realized uh, that's just not going to work out. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was kind of a concept we did at first. And so now we're doing, we're going to have a, uh, the 25 minute cut, maybe a little shorter, maybe 20, 25 minutes. That's going to be the legal cut. That's going to be the cut that we send to all the festivals. But then we still want to be able to do our own, the music that we want. For example, we want the song Hurricane by Bob Dylan. I posted that on my story. We want that song in the movie for a specific scene. And so we are going to film that scene and then put that in the director's cut. And then we're going to film some extra scenes, put those in the director's cut. And all those will be in uh in the director's cut and that's going to be what we, we show because we're doing a premiere in september we don't know when it, we're going to finish it we're doing a, a, a premiere for the movie um and that's going to be what we show in real life now as far as what we're going to be able to post on youtube i'm not sure i don't know what i don't know what we're going to be able to post on youtube um we might be able to get away with posting the director's cut on youtube um, but we might have to post the legal cut on YouTube. So it, it just, it depends. The director's cuts can be maybe five to 10 minutes longer. Oh, and it's, it's going to have some extra footage, uh, or some extra scenes in there. And it's going to have all the real music that we want in the movie. And that's going to be pretty much the, the most true form of the movie. Um, but you know, just due to budget, we can't, and legal reasons, we can't have that one submitted to festivals and so the, the official one is going to be uh, the legally uh, correct one with all the with the with the uh, score behind it and yeah. no copyrighted music. Um, and so but we're but like you were saying about distribution, we're pro and marketing. We're probably going to. Um, I'm I'm really not sure yet. We're probably gonna. Uh, I know we're submitting it to festivals. That's going to be our main. That's our main goal is the festivals and have it be good enough to where we can get it into festivals and, you know, get uh, direct uh, like large directors and producers and big people in the industry to see it. That's our main goal. Um, but then of course, you know, we also have to have people like my followers have to see it. Of course, everybody wants to see it. So yeah, yeah. that's why we're going to post it on YouTube. Um, and to let everyone, everyone that wants to see it can see the final product. Um, but as far as like marketing, do you have a, like a timeline for when you'd like to push it to the festivals? Um, well, I think what we're going to do is we're probably going to get a, a cut of it done in August and September. And then I'm not even thinking we're going to submit any festivals. And I think we're just going to keep working on making sure the sound design is perfect, making sure everything is perfect. And then we'll probably submit the festivals in 2022. Okay. You know, um, and because there most festivals, you know, their deadlines are in the spring and there's not very many festivals that you can submit to in fall and winter. So we might submit to a few of them in the fall and winter, um, but most mostly we're going to kind of wait until 2022 and then we're going to we're going to go that full year just submitting to as many festivals as we can. And um, it's that's going to be interesting because uh, Cameron is he's uh, we're both graduating this year, senior year of high school, yeah. and and he is going to college in New Orleans, and I'm staying here. So we're not sure what we're going to do about that as far as um as far as the festivals because we don't we won't be both be able to go to them. So because he's going to be in college, so we'll just have to see how that goes, and we might be able to go to the festivals and. You know, obviously the dream is the movie gets does well enough and it gets picked up and uh, for a full length movie, you know, that's just that's kind of far off. You know, we're not expecting that, of course. But, you know, that's the best. Yeah, exactly. It's the best possible thing that can happen. So that's what we want to happen. But we're, we're just uh, I mean, right now we're pretty much just making this because we're passionate about making it. We just. It's just something we we want to do and we we want to get done. Yeah, and that's 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 when 
I feel like that's when the real magic happens. When oh, exactly, you're just, you're, it's just it's it's a fun. You're you're doing it out of just passion, and you're having you're having fun with the the whole process of developing whatever you're developing. Exactly. Well, this is yeah. Movies are honestly, it's very interesting because you know it was a it was a big transition going from clothing to to movies. Um, as far as like you know, I've built a following of almost four thousand people yeah. um, with clothing, and now I'm switching it to a totally different industry. So it was kind of scary in that sense, but it was very interesting to see how um, with with clothing, I've always had a passion for it. I've always loved clothing, but. I will admit, obviously, you know, I was in it partially, not in it for the money, but, you know, the money was an aspect. You know, I know if I would design things sometimes because I knew they would sell better than other things I would design. And I did it, you know, I would do things quicker for the money. But with this, it's very interesting because I'm more passionate about this short film than I am anything I've ever done clothing wise. And I'm not going to make a dime from this short film. I mean, obviously, unless it gets picked up. Yeah. But, but that's not that I'm not even expecting that at all. I'm I'm not making any money from this short film. In fact, I'm spending money on it. I'm losing money by making this. And but I'm not expecting any money out of it. I'm not I don't care about the money at all. I just really love doing it. And that's something I found different than when I did close is that there was always that one aspect where I still, you know, I still wanted money from it i still wanted to make money off of clothing and always kind of cared about growth i always cared about instagram followers with the clothing and i don't i don't care anything about instagram followers anymore i don't care anything about any of that right now i just care about the clothing and that's 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 all i care about yeah i mean i'm not all i care about all i care about is the movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. but like the, the crazy thing is have you found that there's any like principles from you doing clothing that you can apply to the movie stuff? Oh, oh, for sure. Um, well, specifically, um, specifically one thing that's interesting kind of, and this, well, it, I'm kind of going off your question a little bit because, uh, that's fine. You can go in whatever direction you it's a little bit different. Um, I actually find it to be I'm more different when I design it with clothing. When I design with clothing, I like I said earlier, I like the imperfections. You know, I I like imperfections. I like to design things where this color is messed up, or uh oh, this little part of the picture is cut off, or it's crooked, or something like that. Uh, I like that more on a design. But when I'm filming, or when we're when we're writing this, or when we're filming this. I'm, I want it to be absolutely perfect. I don't want there to be any mistakes. I don't want there to be an audio glitch or, or, you know, a bad piece of audio because movies, you know, you can't have imperfect things in movies. It's just, it's just different. Um, the art of a a t-shirt with a hole in it is, you know, you can look at it and you can appreciate the art of it, but the art of a story with a plot hole in it, you can't appreciate a plot hole and you can't, you know, if there's a movie and, you know, the screen, the boom mic comes into the screen or the screen glitches or, you know, the video messes up, the camera knocks, the audio is messed up. Um, it, that doesn't make it more easy to appreciate. It's just a different industry. And yeah. movies, it has to be universally perfect. It has to be as good as it can possibly be, possibly be or it won't be good.